Well, good morning. My name is Steve, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're new, we just want to welcome you, or if you're watching online, um, yeah, we are going to start a new sermon series this morning, and I'm going to get right into that in a moment. Um, last night, we actually had a wedding, and so Jesse and Annie got married, and that's why this section is empty. <laughs> They're all recovering, and so it was a great time, and uh, yeah, we got to celebrate um, that new beginning. And so um, before we get into the sermon, I just want to remind you what our vision is. And our vision, you're hearing it all the time because it's so important. And our vision is equipping people to take the next steps with Jesus, transforming our lives in our community. And I have to say, when I look back on 2023, I have seen people taking their next steps with Jesus. I've seen people come to faith for the first time. I've seen people being baptized. I've seen people inviting other people to church. Miles is celebrating. Thanks, Miles. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm praising God for what he has been doing in our church and that we're seeing the vision move forward. And please pray that that would continue, that God would continue to move but I also want to go through our values. And so I just want to talk about one value today because it fits so perfectly. One of our values as a church is to be Jesus-centered. And it means the good news of Jesus Christ is everything to us, and we want everyone to know it. And so as we jump into the book of Galatians, it's going to be talking about this good news and how we can tell everyone about Jesus and what that means for us. And so today, this new sermon series in Galatians, we're calling it Gospel Partnership. Uh, it's an invitation for us to participate in gospel partnership. And so the question for all of us is, how do we participate? How do we join with God and spread the good news of the gospel? Because there's people that need it. And so today, I want to talk about what is the gospel? Do we know? But secondly, how do we actually distort the gospel? We may know the facts of the gospel, but how we live shows that we truly don't know the gospel at times. And lastly, how do we actually focus truly on the gospel? So what happens when we distort the gospel? Well, I, ha I remember this time when my vision was distorted and I hit a tree. It was a small tree, but I was skiing. And if you know me, I like speed when I ski. I had this app that clocked me about 110 at one time, 110 kilometers per hour from the top of Whistler down. But I was skiing with this friend, and I had the season's pass at what was Hemlock back in the day, and it was an empty hill, and so we would just ski top to bottom, top to bottom. And there's this small tree that I was kind of flirting with. Every time I went by, I would get closer and closer. And my friend and I were trying to hop this tree. He pulled it off. I got really close, and I'm like, nah, I chickened out. And I remember this one run that I will never forget that my goggles started to fog up and everything became distorted. 
And I was going down this run that I've done over and over again, and I got so close to this tree, but there was something on the run that sucked me in. Now, remember, I was straight lining. And so when I hit the tree, it took out my legs. And the only thing I remember was the moment when my head hit the ground. I blacked out. And after I blacked out, I remember tumbling like a rag doll down the hill. It was a complete yard sale, if you know that term. Some skis were up the hill, poles were down the hill, and I just rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled and stopped and just laid there. You know, I kind of laid there probably for a good two or three minutes until my friend made his way to me. He's like, hey, are you okay? No. (laughs) He's like, Matt, that was incredible. I wish I got that on video. Like, that's something that I want to watch over and over again, Steve. I'm like, that wasn't funny. Oh, it was amazing. (laughs) But, you know, it, it was my vision got distorted, and it just slightly took me off. And it was just a little bit, but it caused me to tumble. I think just like in the story, the gospel, when it gets distorted, it leads us to blackouts. It leads us to sin. It leads us to separation. And we may even be flirting with this distorted gospel because we want to accommodate culture. Because we want to flirt with sin. We want to allow just a little bit, just a little bit more, just a little bit. And then we fall on our face. And we experience what sin does. And that happens when we distort the gospel. We may even know the gospel. We may even know that we shouldn't get so close. But a distorted gospel always leads us astray. It always hurts us. It hurts our community. It hurts our families. It hurts parenting. It hurts our church attendance. It hurts our time that we spend with God when we flirt with this distorted gospel and we let it in. And the book of Galatians, it's this explosive book. And it warns us what happens when we distort the gospel. It's this beautiful book where Paul is saying, man, hold the gospel close. Keep looking at it. Keep following Christ. Make sure you know and understand it. Don't just know it here, but know it here. And when you just know it here and your heart doesn't line up, you get misaligned. You go off track. And Paul is saying that the gospel isn't just for the people out in the community, but the gospel is actually for us. It's not just principles that we know, but the gospel is something that will change our life every single day. In other words, we need to preach to ourselves the good news. Every moment, every day that we get off track, man, we need to know the good news. We need to be reminded of what Christ did on the cross because, man, we can distort the gospel. So first... Because the gospel changes every area of of our life, we need to actually understand what the gospel is. 
So let's start with, what is the gospel? Look with me on your devices or in your Bibles at Galatians 1. Let's start reading at verse 1. It says this, Paul, an apostle. What does it mean that Paul is an apostle? Well, an apostle is a, is a messenger sent by God. He has this message. He has this authority that God has given him. In other words, he's called, he's chosen, he's commissioned to talk about the good news. And he says this, this is not for men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Again, he's giving the gospel. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, who is the church of Galatia? Well, Galatia is a region in Central Asia Minor. We know that as Turkey today. And Paul and Barnabas traveled through that region as missionaries, and they planted churches, and they planted the church of Galatia. Now, why is Paul writing this church? It's because the church is getting the gospel wrong. They've gone astray. To put it in simple terms, they're kind of adding components to the gospel. They're saying, hey, if you want to become a Christian, you first need to become a Jewish Christian. You got to go through all the hoops of what it means to be a Jewish Christian. You need to follow the law, follow the rules, and then you can become a Christian. Paul is writing this church. He's saying, you missed the assignment. You didn't actually read the syllabus, guys. Get back to what is the gospel. And actually, he's getting quite angry. He has this righteous anger. And I think as a pastor, I can identify. I've watched people get things wrong and leave the church or leave the gospel because they didn't quite know what the gospel was or they misunderstood. In other words, they didn't get the assignment right. You know, I've seen this on social media so many times. Someone says, you know, I believe Jesus. I don't actually believe the words of Jesus and they'll take this one Greek word and twist it. So they can accommodate how they want to live, so that they can accommodate sin, so that they can accommodate culture, so that they can accommodate whatever it is, their own Christianity. You know, they pick and choose what verses they like and don't like. That's exactly what's happening in the church of Galatia. So Paul says, hey, what's the gospel? Do you know what the gospel is? So if we look at the gospel in its entirety, the New Testament tells us that the gospel is the good news. It's said 93 times. And the gospel, broadly speaking, is all of Scripture. But more narrowly, it's what Christ did. It's the good news. It's what he did on the cross for us. John Stott says this, and I really like this. 
The Old Testament is the gospel in bud. But it's the New Testament, the gospel is in full flower. In other words, the entire Bible tells us what the gospel is. It's a story from creation until Christ returns. And we need to understand all of it in detail. We deeply want to know what the gospel is. In many ways, the gospel is simple. It's John 3.16. It's God so loved the world that he sent his only son. But it's much deeper than that. It's much richer than that. That when we fully, really understand God's word in its totality, man, it impacts every single area of of your life. And the more you dive in, the deeper you get, man, the more it impacts you, the more you're like, oh my goodness, Jesus, what you did for me, God, your plan, it impacts everything. So what are some of the key things to understanding the gospel? Let's get beyond John 3.16. What is the gospel? Well, it tells us who is Jesus. He is Christ. That's his title. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our King. He's God incarnate who came to be with us and share this good news. But the gospel also tells us what he's done. That he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. This is the work of salvation. This is what Christ did for you. Why did Jesus do this? So that we can have forgiveness of our sins and bestow on you the benefits that come with salvation. And how can we know it's true? Is it because it fulfills the Old Testament scriptures? Again, when we look at all of scripture, it was all part of God's plan. It was predicted. He spoke to people over and over again. I'm sending the Messiah. There's hope. Keep walking with me. Keep looking to me. I have a plan. And how can we know it's true? Well, again, he fulfills scripture after scripture. There's eyewitnesses that walked with Jesus. That's why we have the gospels. Different people wrote down what he did. And how should we respond The gospel calls us to repentance. That means we need to turn to God, turn from our sin. So back to the book of Galatians. Remember that they made a mess of things. They got the assignment wrong. They didn't truly understand the gospel. They started to add things on. And Paul says in verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for all sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and Father. In other words, according to God's plan, to whom be the glory forever and ever. What is Paul saying? He's saying, don't be mistaken. Grace is from God. It's not because of what you've done. It's because of what he's done. 
He's given you this unmerited, undeserving favor. In other words, when you get to heaven, who do you give credit to? You or God? Paul's saying, it's all God. It's the grace that he gave to you. It's all been part of his plan. It's his will for you to accept salvation. Yes, there is a responsibility, but it is 100% the work of God, 100% the work of Christ on the cross. There's no hoop that you need to jump through. It's you responding to the work that he accomplished. In other words, you can't take credit for what God did. The only thing we can do is turn and repent from our sin. That's what he asks us to do. But remember in the book of James, we see this tension between these two truths. You know, faith without works is dead. In other words, there's human responsibility over here. And then Paul is saying, no, it's all the work of God. I'm going to say they're both true. But the work of God is what gives us salvation. And when we're truly saved, there's fruit. When we truly understand what God did over here, we turn to him and go, oh yeah, this is better. I need the gospel. I need to be reminded of it every single day. The gospel isn't just this one-time prayer. It's something that makes its way all the way down into our heart. And when we truly understand it, our actions change. Fruit is produced. There's love. There's joy. There's peace. There's patience. There's kindness. It's evidence of. In other words, it's not how we perform on this planet. It's how Christ performed. And when we get to heaven, we go, oh, God, thank you. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you that you had a plan in place right from the beginning, right from when Adam and Eve sinned. You knew <laughs> that we would get it wrong, that we would turn from holy God do things our way, and make a mess of things. And the church of Galatia is making a mess. You know, I heard this interview this week that really touched my heart. It was an interview with Granger Smith, a country singer. I don't know who he is, but Josh says he makes good music. It's country music, so I disagree. But he said this on in an interview, the unthinkable happened and he lost his three-year-old son to a tragic accident where he drowned in the family pool. And he says, through this suffering, through this heartache, there was a rebirth in his own heart. And he said, as a parent, he felt guilty for what had happened. And I can only imagine, you know, did I leave the gate open? Did I put enough things in place? You know, what if I was home? What if, what if, what if, what if? And he says, as a parent, he's carrying the weight of this guilt. 
And he said, you know, the world's going to say, don't feel guilty. It's not your fault. I said, that doesn't help. Because I was truly feeling the weight and the guilt of what has happened. He said, through it all, he was able to come to terms and he listened to the gospel. And he said, God, I am a sinner. I am guilty. But you can take this for me. You can cover my shame and my guilt. You can forgive me. You alone, oh God, because of your great love for your children, take this guilt from me. You know what he could have said? I'm not guilty. I can blame shift. It was my wife's fault, or whatever. He could not deal with his own wounds. He could jump through all these hoops trying to justify why he shouldn't come to the cross. Or like the Galatians, he may even add on extra things before God will accept me. Maybe he would just need to appear a certain way, manage his sin, then God would forgive him. He says, when we do this, we miss the healing power of the gospel. So Granger says, I came to a place where I could say, I am guilty, Lord, but you're covering it. And when he did that, he said he found rest and peace. He realized that he is just a sinner But Christ had mercy on him. He says he's never experienced a peace like that. He was reborn because of the gospel. So how do we know if we understand the gospel? Not just know the facts about the gospel, but really deeply know the gospel. I think it's when we walk in freedom, when we walk in peace, when we can say, I'm a sinner and Lord, you're covering it. That's how we deeply know we understand the gospel. I'm a sinner. And I need you, Jesus. I need the cross. Then Paul says, secondly, how do we desert the gospel? How do we get to a place where we walk away, where we forget, where where we cast it to the side? And he says in verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. You know, I was looking up the word deserting. It actually has this military connotations where someone walks away from their responsibility where they're on watch. And they, because they walk away, They desert their position. They let the enemy in. 
And Paul is saying, why are people, why church? Why are you deserting what is most important? What are you turning to? Again, they didn't understand the assignment. And I think there's two ways that we can desert the gospel, two big categories. And the first is exactly what they're going through, is, and it's called legalism. Legalism is attempting to win God's favor by using our own efforts, by managing our own sin, by just trying harder. And in this context, again, Jewish Christians believe that they still need to follow the law, the rules, get everything right, get everything perfect, so it appears good, then I must be good. In our context, dress better. Hide what's underneath. Make sure you get the finest clothes, the finest appearance. Give more, serve more, pray more, sin less. God will be happy with me. You know, we, we may even believe that unintentionally at times. But somehow it seeps in. And here's the problem. Here's the fruit of legalism. It produces self-righteousness. It makes you judgmental. It emphasizes the works, not the gospel. You tend to not have grace for others. It actually isolates you from the world rather than being the light in the world. It creates this attitude of you're better, you're superior. You see how that misses what the gospel is all about? And the results are every single time there's frustration, there's bitterness, there's resentment, and there's this failure for us to live up to God's standard because you never will. And I think the question is, do you become frustrated, bitter, and resentful towards other Christians when they don't get it right? Mm. Yes. Sometimes it seeps into our own heart. We forget the gospel. And we forget the gospel is for every single person, including us. But there's another way, and I would say this is more true in our current culture. One of the ways we can turn away from the gospel is liberalism. Liberalism is a sense that one believes they can live however they want. You know, live to your own convictions. You know, even though your convictions can change from one day to the next. Think about that for a second. It's this anthem of our current culture. It sounds like speak your own truth. Do what you want. Live a life that makes you happy. Forget the rest. Delete those who disagree with you. Reject bad vibes. Avoid suffering. Love yourself. That's what our current culture teaches. Kevin DeYoung says this, No matter what you profess, if you show disregard for Christ by giving yourself over to sin, unapologetic, 
unapologetically and habitually, then heaven is not your home. In other words, if you have no regard for how you live, you probably don't understand the gospel. You don't understand it in a way that it's changed your life and you have this intimate relationship with God and the Spirit is not convicting you of sin. This is why Paul says in Romans 6 to 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, certainly not. How shall we, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? In other words, we should stop cheapening grace. We shouldn't abuse grace. Yes, it's available to us. But if we're purposefully sinning, if we're purposely walking away from the gospel, if we're purposely distorting what a Christian life looks like, man, we're missing it. We're falling into liberalism. Anything goes. I can do what I want. You know, this is the point where you see Paul getting really angry. He's seeing that people are missing the gospel. He's seeing that people are being led astray. And he says in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And again, he says, anyone who gets it wrong, let him be accursed. Well, what does that mean? He's saying, let them be eternally condemned. What? That's pretty strong. Those are some harsh words. Well, why is he saying it? It's because eternity is at stake. It's because people are being led straight to hell. Because people, even in the church, are getting it wrong. And he's angry. It's so important that we get the gospel right. And he's also saying, you will be held accountable if you're leading people astray. He's saying that there's eternal consequences. And Jesus actually draws lines. Just like Paul is drawing a line. And every single time Jesus encounters a sinner, think of the woman in the well. He loves them in the mess. Then he says, go and sin no more. And anytime someone tells you that they can just continue a lifestyle in sin, they've misunderstood the gospel. And I think the question is, how do we not desert the gospel? I think Jesus shows us in Matthew 4, where he's being led into the wilderness and he's being tempted by Satan. And right there you see Satan twisting scripture. Right there you see him distorting how we view God. We, right there, even with Jesus, he tries to distort how God sees us. He confuses. He brings in lies. What does Jesus do every single time? 
quotes Scripture back. He brings it back to the truth. He corrects him. In other words, we too need to know the Word of God. We too need to know the gospel. And every single time when things are kind of moving away, we need to go back to the truth. We need to go back to Scripture. We need to evaluate, is what that person's saying, is it true? Or when you're being attacked, is that true? Like Jesus, man, we need to know the Word of God. Like Jesus, when we're confused, or when liberalism creeps in, or when we have this legalistic thought, go back to the truth. You know, there's been many times where I'll just even be scrolling on Facebook and I'll, I'll get this statement. I'm like, ah, that doesn't seem quite right. Take scripture, not one scripture, multiple scriptures, compare. Does it line up before you just apply it or repost it or share it? Is it leading people to the gospel or is it leading them to themselves? Is it leading people to the truth or is it leading them to a life of sin where they're the king, where they're the boss, and they can continue in this comfortable Western life where you know your own truth? And we need to know his truth. William Backus, a Christian psychologist, says this. The Bible says it is the truth that sets man free. Jesus Christ is the living truth. And when we inject the truth into every thought, it's like taking this therapeutic broom. It's sweeping away the lies and the misbeliefs which have enslaved us. And we find ourselves radically changed for the better. And that's why we need the gospel every single day. That's why we need to be in God's word. Man, we need to sweep. <laughs> we need to clean out the cobwebs. I'm saying that as a pastor. There's things that just creep in, and sometimes like, where did that come from? And a lot of times it's like, came from this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than... And Paul Tripp says, this is why Sunday matters. God has given us his church so that our pastors and preachers point us again and again to what is to come and warn us again and again of the dangers of living in the present. In other words, we need to be careful. Every single day, every single hour, that we're not leading people astray. And that we're not being led astray. Because eternity is at stake. So lastly, how do we stay focused on the true gospel? How do we stay focused on the true gospel? Look with me at John 14, 15. It says this. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me. I'm going to borrow a few words from J.D. Greer and mix them with my own. But I read something 
that really spoke to me, and he said something like this. We know that true love cannot be commanded. True love cannot be commanded. In other words, I can't command my wife to love me. Has anyone tried that? It doesn't work for those who are not married. But how do we motivate ourselves to love God in such a way that we know God's word, that we fall in love with his word and we deeply know it and can apply it to our life? In other words, we don't just know it in our mind, but it seeps its way and makes its way down into our heart where we start to live it out. We start to love when we don't feel like it. We start to experience God's peace and his rest, even when it's unexplainable. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do we love Jesus like that? So it becomes a delight to serve him rather than a duty. So we're excited about being obedient. We're excited about sacrificing ourselves so that we can see the gospel move forward, so that we can see people being healed and changed and transformed. How do we get there? Well, the commandment alone by itself is no more than a railroad track. In other words, it shows us where to go but we need some fuel from above. We need the Spirit of God to move in us, to soften our hearts. And I think the first step in loving God is actually recognizing and receiving what was accomplished on the cross. And the second step is to knowing that our love for God grows when we experience his love on a regular basis. Because we forget. In other words, when we know God's love and the gospel touches down into our hearts over and over and day after day and it goes deeper and deeper, we are changed more and more and it becomes more and more of a delight to serve him. The more we see and look upon his love, the more we become loving ourselves towards him and others. To quote again J.D. Greer, this is where the slide can come up. I really like what he says here. He says, abiding in Jesus. It sounds so spiritual. It feels so ambiguous. But the Greek word here means to make your home in. To make your home in. In other words, it's less of an action and more of just letting yourself be surrounded by Jesus, being saturated in his love, standing there in awe of him, amazed at how such a thing as his love for you could ever take place. And all of us should feel this way. The closer we settle into Jesus, seeing more clearly the contrast between himself and our sinfulness. So the question is, has the gospel found its home in your heart? Has it saturated your life? Has it taken root? 
Is it starting to blossom? Has it made its way into your house where when someone comes and visits, you can see the gospel is important? In other words, abiding in Jesus will produce all the fruits of the Spirit. When we make Jesus the center of our life, when we keep coming back to him day after day, we start to see love growing. We start to see joy growing, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And when we don't see that, we know we're straying away. There's this book called The TechWise Family. I really encourage parents to read it. And as I was preparing, I was reminded about Andy Crouch who's the author, and he talked about what is at the center of his living room. And he said, it's the big screen TV. It's at the center. And when everyone walks in the room, they gather around the TV. And if we're honest, screens, both big and small, have entered into the forefront of our homes and hearts, and that's the main thing that has become the center of our lives. And the question I want to ask, does it actually make a difference? Well, does it help position us and our families into this growing relationship with Jesus? It might. Probably not. And I'm not saying go be Amish throughout your TVs, but maybe some of you do. (laughs) What has become the center of your home and heart? 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says this, I have the right to do anything. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. A year ago, we did a sermon series called Daily Reminders. And I want to remind you of one concept that we talked about. Is that our habits lead our heart. And so every single day, we have these rhythms that we enter into, whether we know it or not, and they're leading us in a direction. They may be leading us towards the gospel or away from the gospel. And as we come to communion, my question to you is, do you have habits in your life and in your home that are leading you towards the cross? I'm going to call the worship team up. Before we spend some time in prayer, the gospel actually calls us to repentance. And before we take communion today, I want to give you some time to repent. What is God speaking to you about? Ask him, what needs to change? What needs to turn back towards him? I think we need to repent before we start talking about what's our next steps. Then we need to actually deal with the sin that is constantly drawing us away rather than going, what's the next thing?
So before we take communion, bow your head, close your eyes, and go, God, what do I need to repent of? And take a moment to repent. Repenting is turning away from your sin. Take a moment to do that. Now, Jesus, thank you that we can make a mess of things, but we can come back to the cross. So God, I just pray that you would convict us of our sin, the thing that is leading us astray and maybe even others astray. God, we repent. We lay our sins at the cross knowing that you've covered them. Help us to create habits and rhythms that recognize you're better. So God, help us to live as free people where the gospel moves from our heads to our heart and others can see that we have been changed by you. So God, I just pray for freedom in this place. Whatever is binding, whatever is keeping people from taking their next steps, pray that you'd break that in the name of Jesus, that people would lay it at the cross. Let's take communion together and then we'll get to what our next steps are. Paul is reminding us that even in the middle of the mess, even in the middle of the broken things, not all is lost. That we can go back to the beginning when we first met Christ. We can go back to his grace and we can be reminded that we need the gospel today. And this bread reminds us that Jesus came, walked among us, and gave his body for us. Let's take the bread together. In Luke 19, it says, he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now the cup, it represents payment, the payment that was purchased by the blood of Christ, the blood of the Messiah. It's not something that you accomplished, but it's everything that he accomplished on the cross. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, he opened a door so that we can walk through and be with God. So that we can be changed and transformed. So that we can walk closely with him. So that we can know him. So that we can spend eternity with the living God. So in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is my new covenant, my new promise in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's take it together. So as we come to the cross, 
as we are reminded of what the gospel is and what Jesus has done for us, my question is, what is he calling you to do in 2024? How can you partner with the gospel? Here's some ideas. Maybe you do want to read the Bible, maybe, maybe for the first time from start to finish. So you can know the full story, the depth of what he's done for you. Maybe, parents, you want to read the Bible with your kids so that you can pass on the gospel so that they truly know it. Or maybe for some of you, it's just committing to be faithful, faithful to showing up, being in his presence, being in his word, being in church. And that causes us to evaluate what's important, what's not important. How are we growing in gospel-centered relationships? How are we growing with one another? So maybe that's joining a small group. But one of the ways that I want to partner with the gospel is by sharing faith, sharing this good news. And so maybe you need to start praying for your neighbor, your coworker, the people that God have placed in your life. What is God calling you to do? So I invite you to take a minute before we worship and ask God. But don't just ask God, listen, and then write it down. And then a year from now, go back and say, hey, did I do that thing that God has called me to do? So take a moment, take out your phone, maybe write a note, whatever it is. Talk to God. It might not be on the list, but what's your next step that God is calling you to do? So just take a minute, then I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to worship. Yeah, God, thank you that your kindness leads us to repentance but also repentance leads us to action. So Spirit, speak to us. God, what is the next step that you want us to take today? Help us to be bold and obedient, to love you in such a way that it is a delight to serve you. So speak to us, God. Help us to share what you're doing in our own heart today. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.